It's often said that poverty and prison go hand in hand, but the question is, what kind of poverty? Here's a man whose perspective on that is formed by firsthand experience. My name's Doug Wilson. I've been incarcerated for uh, more than 20 years now. You see, when I was growing up, my dad, he knew how to provide for his family. He was good at that. And uh, he gave us things he never had and did a good job at that. But my dad didn't know how to be a spiritual leader. And uh, I never got to hear my dad pray. And that's one thing I always wondered, what would my dad have sounded like if I ever heard him pray? about overcoming spiritual poverty in some unique and surprising ways. Oh, and get your coffee cup ready. You'll want it. On this edition of Family Life This Week. Stay tuned. Welcome to Family Life This Week. I'm Michelle Hill. Have you ever stopped to consider the people that God is using to share His Word with others? You know, some of these people have pasts. Well, actually, everyone has a past. I have a past, and so do you. But when God looks at us, He sees what He's done, and He sees what He's going to do through us. And it's amazing when you stop and think about it, right? You remember my friend Tracy Lane, her little daughter Annie, who has a heart condition, Well, Tracy shared with me earlier this week how thrilling it is to live the life that God has given her to live. And it's been tough at times. You know, and this got me to thinking about a man in the Bible that we all know who basically, in some respects, wrote half of the New Testament. He was a man who built up the church. But before that, he did some other things. He was a persecutor of the church, and that made him an accessory to murder. And that's quite a past. Dennis Rainey recently spoke to a group of men, and he shared with them the story of this Hebrew of Hebrews from the line of Benjamin, Saul of Tarsus. Do you know what Saul, Saul did for a living? He held the jackets of the guys who stoned some of Christ's disciples. And one day, Saul met Jesus Christ. He invaded his life, and Saul became Paul. He took a broken guy who had helped with the murder of Christians. You know he could never erase that image from his life. And Jesus Christ gave him a mission, a purpose, a reason to live. I want to tell you something, guys. There is nothing you have done, nothing you have done that can keep Almighty God from loving you, from redeeming you, and giving you not only a spiritual address, but also a spiritual finish line for you to complete as you finish your life in here or as you finish your life out there. There's your spiritual address as a man. Paul said this. This is the guy who was the accomplice. He said, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies 
behind. Guys, I want you to hear me. There is an accuser, an accuser who wants to remind you of what you've done wrong. And he wants to whisper in your ear, you could never be used by God. That is a lie. Can you change what lies behind? No. Can you learn from what lies behind? Of course you can. Paul said, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Listen to what he said. He said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Guys, the game is not over. It may be halftime. It may be the third quarter. You may feel like you're in the two-minute warning. But the question is, will you redeem the opportunity to make a huge impact? You see, guys, I spent a long time trying to come to grips with my doubts. When suddenly I realized I had better come to grips with what I believe. I have since moved from the agony of questions I still can't answer to the reality of answers that I cannot escape. And it's a great relief. Amen. That was Dennis sharing a message with the men at Wrightsville Prison. And he gave them a charge to move forward, to become true men of God, to lead their families well, but most importantly, to not be defined by their past. After all, God doesn't define us by the past. I want you to hear from some of the men who were influenced by Dennis and his passion for biblical manhood. So we took our microphone into the prison to talk with these men and to hear from some of their stories. My name is Corey. I've been incarcerated for three and a half years. It was nice to see that there are other men that struggle with the same exact things that I do on a daily basis. We have a gentleman that was in our group that is, um, that is not incarcerated. And a lot of the things that he shared were things that that I struggle with on a daily basis. And to see him out here with a family, with children, to see him going through these same struggles, to see these men come in here and share with us, and then also with the men in my group that are incarcerated, again, to see these similar struggles. But on top of that, teaching us how to deal with these struggles, how to how to cope with them, how to, how to get out of this bondage. Um, it's nice to see that, um, that I'm not in this fight alone. My name is Daniel Button, and I've been here a little less than five years. Um, I was really hard on my wife and my kids. What I didn't realize until I got into this was I was expecting my wife and my children to fill a hole that only God could fill. And when they couldn't do it, I abandoned them, and I went chasing other things to try to fill that emptiness with. See, they were never meant to fill that hole but I expected them to because I didn't understand love. I didn't understand God. I just understood that I was empty and I needed something. 
looking for something to make me feel better about myself. And I've learned that only God can do that. And uh, something else that I've noticed, I uh, tell people here at this unit a lot more about how much I miss and love my children than I told them when I was with them. And I need to fix that. And that's what I'm gonna work on. And thank you all very much for giving me the opportunity to do this. I appreciate it. freedom. They may be incarcerated physically, but there's freedom in Christ. And that's really good news. Hey, I think I smell some coffee. You smell it? Well, okay, so since I smell it, you're going to have to give me two minutes so that I can go get a little bit of caffeine. But when I come back, I'm going to talk with a man who, like Dennis Rainey, is helping men realize their potential post-incarceration. Pete Leonard joins me in the studio next. Stay tuned. Well, he didn't get to walk his daughter down the aisle, but he did get the daddy-daughter dance. For Family Life Blended, here's Ron Deal. After nearly 20 years of being a stepdad, a friend of mine could see that his stepdaughter was struggling to decide who should walk her down the aisle at her wedding. Her dad, who had been in and out of her life, or her stepdad, who had been there all along. My friend solved the problem with a big sacrifice. He let her know that he would be okay with her father walking her down the aisle. That brought a light to her eyes and a smile to her face. And then she insisted, but nobody's going to take away our dance at the reception. Oh, yeah, he enjoyed that daddy-daughter dance. He loved every minute of it. For Family Life Blended, I'm Ron Deal. To find out more, visit FamilyLifeBlended.com. Couples who say they have marriage problems need to recognize it's not a marriage problem. It's, it's a God, God problem. We make it all about us. You know where that's headed. And it's killing our marriages. What would happen if marriages got it together and divorce was rare? Because there's something bigger here. Who are we here for? There is something that your marriage represents that is far greater. We're here for a purpose. When you look at what the Bible says about marriage. Marriage is about more than just you and me. Very few couples say, Lord, what do you want? Instead, they think, this is what I want, and I'm not getting it. Therefore, this thing is broken. Family Life's Weekend to Remember. Our weekend to remember begins with the purpose of marriage as God intended it because ultimately your marriage is not about you. It's about God. To find out more about a getaway near you, visit weekendtoremember.com. Welcome back to Family Life This Week. I'm Michelle Hill. So before the break, we heard a couple of men share what God is doing in their lives. And today I'm joined by Pete Leonard, who has a soft spot for men and women who are and who have been in the prison system. Pete, when you heard a few of those stories, 
what was going through your mind? Oh, that's very powerful. Um, that was hearing from men who are still in. Mm-hmm. And I get to hear stories from men and women who are now out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's stunning to me mm-hmm. what God can do regardless of our circumstances and regardless of our past. Mm-hmm. And as you said, we all have a past. Right. Uh, some of us should be incarcerated for the things that we did. We just weren't. Right. But it doesn't matter. It's breaking God's law that's the issue. Hearing stories like that of what God is doing in the hearts of men, mm-hmm. which is fantastic, mm-hmm. is so encouraging that that work is going on inside prison. And I know it is because yes. I know people that are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to see what can happen when they get out and are given a chance to do something different to show that what happened to them in prison, uh, learning about Christ, becoming a believer, uh, professing to follow him, can be carried out in public. Um, That's a huge challenge. Life is different outside. Oh, I'm sure. The struggle that they have doing that needs a lot of help from me, from the church, Mm -hmm. uh, to make that happen well. And you are providing some of that help. Pete Leonard is the founder and roast manager of Second Chance Coffee Company, or is it the Second Chance Company? So it's the Second Chance Coffee Company is how we're incorporated. Okay. Our brand is I Have a Bean. I have a bean. I have a bean. That sounds a lot like... Very unique name. Very fun name. It is a fun name, and it links right with Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. Okay, so your company is a little bit different than most coffee companies. Yeah, probably a lot different. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, a lot different. So setting up the business, why hire men and women who have just come out of prison? Right. Other people ask this question this way. Are you crazy? (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to say that. I know you, and I know you're not crazy. So (laughs) At least I don't look crazy. Um. Okay, so I used a, a phrase earlier where I, where I talked about, unfortunately, society views people. Yeah. I used to be one of those people in society, viewing people who had a felony conviction as being in the bottom 1%, mm-hmm. a throwaway, a forget about it, uh, a too bad, so sad kind of guy. You know, you, you did it. You're responsible for, th- for the consequences, and that doesn't affect me. Well, that was until a relative of mine went to prison. Mm-hmm. And I watched what happened to his life when he got out of prison. And all of a sudden it touched you. It touched me. And at first I was thinking, that's, that's really sad and it's wrong. And somebody should do something about that. Mm-hmm. Somebody should do something about that. And, and that persisted for a few months. And I started having breakfast with a friend of mine. And it became clear that it wasn't somebody who should do something about that. That was me who should do something about that. Well, tell me about one of your first employees. I'd like to hear that story. There are two that I want to talk about. One, my very first employee, his name was James Short. Now, if you use his nickname, it's Jim Short. (laughs) I know. I didn't realize that until just a few years ago, believe it or not. Great nickname. Yeah. Anyway, James was a, a drug dealer in Chicago and not a stand-on-the-corner drug dealer. A, um, 
he calls himself a high-priced drug dealer. People would call him or page him, and he would deliver, uh, personally deliver to high-rises, condos, and things in Chicago. So he's not one of the guys standing on the corner making big dollars. Um, he got caught, and I don't remember how. He ended up in prison, spent nine or ten years in prison, and got out. And what he realized he had was a, a passion and a talent for auto mechanics, mm. believe it or not. Mm. It was tough for him to find work because of his conviction. Uh, when we first started, we roasted a whopping 30 pounds of coffee a month. Okay. <laughs> it was a slow start. Wow, was it slow. So James would come in one day a week and we'd roast coffee in the morning on Friday and then Friday afternoon, we'd hold Coffee 101 class mm. where I would try to teach James the little that I knew about coffee and coffee roasting. We'd discover things together. Uh, fast forward a year later, uh, James is working every day of the week. We're roasting coffee every day of the week. And he has an opportunity to go work for a local energy company on their trucks. So... We sent him off with great fanfare and joy and enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. He gets to do what he's been given talent to do by God. Lewis's story is like this. I'll give you the very condensed version. Uh, Lewis grew up in a neighborhood that told young men, you are not a man until you've been to prison. You get no respect mm. until you've been to prison. And they made sure you didn't get it. Till you went to prison. Wow. So Lewis's dream yeah. growing up was how do I get to prison? And he did everything he could to make sure that happened. Um, he was into drugs and drug dealing and gun stealing and shooting. The thing that got him into prison, finally, um, he ended up shooting a young man so many times that they couldn't even count the bullet holes in the wow. kid that he shot. Now, the kid did not die. If he did, Lewis would have been executed. Um, but the kid did not die. Lewis went to prison. Lewis was sentenced to three life terms plus wow. 100 years while he was there. So he sat down. He just He's like, uh, I wish I had a gun so I could kill myself because I don't. I don't want to be here the rest of my life. And then his second thought was, and I don't want to be beholden to anybody either. Well, about that time, somebody walked up in an orange jumpsuit and put a copy paper box at his feet on the floor. Didn't say a word. It was covered. And just turned around and walked away with a smile on their face. And Lewis looked down at that box and he watched that guy walk away and he says he used his toe and he kicked the lid off of that thing. In that box was underwear, clean, new, <laughs> socks, comb, Skittles. I guess in prison, Skittles are like gold. I'm sure you they would be. You can trade them for anything, apparently. <laughs> I, I can't relate to that, but um, toothbrush, toothpaste, all yeah. of those things. And Lewis looked at that stuff in the box, and what he said is, when I saw that, I knew I had to kill that guy. Um, I looked at Lewis and said, what? Because I would have been thinking... Thanks. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking, nope, because what I saw in that box was a gift I could not repay. Yeah. And what I knew he was trying to do to me is get me in debt to him. So he determined in his heart that night he was going to kill that guy. 
So he got his his hands ready in this kind of chokehold mm-hmm. uh, look, and he turned and jumped through the the sheet, pushed it aside, and was ready to lunge at this guy. And he stopped halfway through because in the room wasn't just this guy; it was two other guys. They were sitting around a little uh, lamp, reading the Bible, and they kept on reading. They didn't even look up. They just kept on reading. It was a passage in Matthew, I think. And when they stopped, this guy that he was intending to kill just kind of looks up at him from, he gives him a sideways glance. He said, Lewis, do you believe in Jesus? And Lewis is like, no, man, I believe in evolution. (laughs) That's what he's told me, he said. And he is still standing there with his hands ready to strangle this guy. But he didn't know what to do. And the guy reached in the back of his Bible, pulled out a tract. And it had the four spiritual laws. I think it was the four spiritual laws. And in it was, at the back of it, a prayer of salvation. And he handed it to Lewis. He said, read that, and let's talk tomorrow. And Lewis says he took it with one hand, with his other hand still in the I'm going to kill you Mm. um, clamp, death clamp, right? Mm -hmm. He took that and he backed up out of the room ashamed of the fact that he couldn't carry through with what he had planned. And he walked back to his bunk, he sat down on it, and he opened up that track and read it front to back. And what he said is, in that track was a phrase, and I'll, I'll paraphrase this a little bit, something to do with having a clean slate. Mm-hmm. That, that's something that Christ could do for you, give you a clean slate. And he said, that's, that's what I need, is a clean slate. And so he prayed the prayer in the back, the prayer of salvation that was written there. And then he added this at the end. But God, if you ain't real, I ain't following you. You got to prove to me that you're real. The the minute you prove to me you ain't real, we're done. I'm done with you. And then he laid down on his bunk and went to sleep. He woke up. The warden walked over and said, okay, I've got your cell assignment. And he assigned him to a room. He walked him into a cell and he said, staring at me was the biggest, baddest looking guy I have ever seen. Scared me to death. I thought <laughs> this guy's going to snap me in half like a twig. The warden introduced him. The guy left. And this guy all of a sudden got this big smile on his face. He stuck out this big ham of a hand and shook mm. Lewis's hand. He said, Lewis, welcome to my cell. And he opened up a drawer in a little nightstand that he had. He said, here's your Bible and handed him a Gideon New Testament. They started... I, <laughs> when, I, when I tell this story, I just picture myself in that room with Lewis and the, the care that somebody in prison who is incarcerated, who was there in a life sentence, and Lewis, three life sentences plus 100 years, and they start... Uh, discipling each other. Lewis had such a life change in that prison because of what God did that he was let go in 15 and a half years. Wow. The parole board came to the prison and said, we're letting Lewis out. They told that to the warden. The warden came to Lewis and said, Lewis, now this is how long this stuff takes. In three and a half years, you're getting out. Lewis was like, don't mess with me. <laughs> don't mess with me. He thought he was getting a joke played on him. 
Lord and said, no, it's real. It's going to happen. Okay, we'll see. <clears throat> Three and a half years later, Lewis is released from prison. I met him four months after that. Mm. So this is where Lewis is on his journey. After coming to I Have a Bean and roasting for me for a year, he came to me and said, Pete, I hate coffee. <laughs> I love you. I love this company. Can I be in sales? Well, okay. And then we put Lewis on the street selling coffee. Um, so he came to me after doing this for two years, maybe two and a half. He said, <clears throat> Pete, I hate coffee. I love you. I love this company. But God's calling me to the next thing. So today, Lewis is the head of Set Free Prison Ministries in Illinois. Wow. Doing Bible studies back in the prison system. He's married, got kids, got a house, um, all that stuff. And he's just, he is a great friend, a true man of God. Just because somebody's in trouble right now does not mean that they are not going to be the next Paul from Saul. Right. Lewis is that person. And, and I've got 40 more stories oh, like God. that of people that we work with. That's incredible. It's stunning. And, and to hear Lewis's story, the, the transformation, and you just mentioned Paul, and that's where my mind was going the entire time that you were sharing that story was, was Paul and just how God grabbed him and just was like, you're my man and this is what I'm going to do with you and I'm going to let my light shine through you. I've got plans for you. I've got plans for you. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. And what does it take? It takes people. It takes the church, frankly. Yeah. Letting God do that work. And if we really believe in redemption, then we need to make, we need to be the ones being God's hands and feet making that happen. So that's why I do what I do. I love coffee. And I love seeing God transform people's lives. So this is a thing I get to do. That's exciting. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're Pete. quite welcome. This has been a delight, and I am so excited to try some of this coffee. I see. I've I know I smell it over it's there. It's really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. You're welcome. if someone killed a person you loved? Would it be anger? Maybe anguish? Perhaps even hate? Next week, we'll take a journey with Anthony Thompson. His wife was one of the nine killed in the Charleston church shooting five years ago. We're going to hear his story next week on Family Life This Week, so I hope you can join us for that. It'll be an impactful half hour. Hey, thanks for listening. I want to thank the president of Family Life, David Robbins, along with our station partners around the country. And a big thank you to our engineer today, Justin Adams. Thanks to our producer, Marcus Holt. Justin Adams is pulling double duty, and he's also our mastering engineer. Megan Martin is our production coordinator. Our program is a production of Family Life today, and our mission is to effectively develop godly families who change the world one home at a time. I'm Michelle Hill. Inviting you to join us again next time for another edition of Family Life This Week.